0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Erica Hull about the tactics of financial abuse and how to protect yourself. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick and with me today we have Erica Shailene Hull. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. It's great uh, being here with you.
0: Well thank you for being here with us today and today we are going to talk about Uh, financial abuse, economic abuse. But before we get to that, if you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either fill out our Guest Form or send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse.gmail.com. And please do read all the instructions and send it in the format that we ask for. So today we are talking with Erica Shailene Hull, and you wrote a book with someone named Dr. Cheryl Newell Jackson, and the book is called But That's Not Me, Changing the Story of Interpersonal Abuse. But before we actually get to your story and to discuss the economic abuse and the financial abuse of everything... Take us through how you and Dr. Cheryl Newell Jackson met and the whole kind of story around how this book came to be, because it's a very unique thing that happened.
1: It is. Well, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a great, amazing story. I feel like it's one of power and just when you listen to the voices inside of you and it's a good thing. Um, I was in two thousand and nineteen I was in washington d c speaking at a um, Christian women's homeschooling conference, and Dr. Cheryl Jill Jackson was there as well and I got to sit in her workshop. It's really cool when you're a speaker, a keynote speaker, and you go to um conferences. Part of the benefit is you get to go learn from all these amazing people and I was definitely one of those people that took advantage of that and went to as many as I could and so I picked her workshop because what she was speaking about sounded very interesting to me and so I went and I sat in the first row because that's who I am and I raised my hand and participated first one you know because that is who I am Um, my publisher gave me a hard time she said Erica I don't need the straight A student. I need you to be C, just to C. And that is okay. C's are good. I had finally learned that lesson at 46. (laughs) So as this woman is speaking, again, she has a doctorate degree in industrial organizational psychology. And to me, I was in awe because what she spoke of was what I was teaching everyday women on how to manage their life in a better way. And it's what I had used to survive Um, years and years of abuse. It's what I had used to have a successful career. It's these systems that worked. And I felt validated for the first time in my whole entire adult life. And especially after coming out of um, years of serious, serious abuse and having the lowest self-esteem I've ever experienced in my life. And at the end of her presentation, she said, oh, and by the way, I'll, I'll be outside at my author table. I wrote another book because her book that she was speaking of was um, When Family is Business and Business is Family. And so she goes, I wrote another book and it's a fiction book. And it talks about, you know, something that plagues many women um, nowadays, domestic abuse. And that's all she mentioned. And my whole body just started tingling. So I made sure to go find her at her author table. And as I'm walking up to her table, I I almost don't even remember walking like the steps. It felt like I was just kind of gliding over there in slow motion. And I walked straight up to her and I said, I <laughs> I know this is going to sound really insane, but I think we were meant to write a book together. Would you please hear me out? And I paused and I said, She didn't really respond. I said, I have a story I think that needs to be told, but I have a trauma block that I can't get past and I can't type. My hands don't type. I've worked with my therapist. It's not working, it's not doing, but I can talk. I could talk like no other. As a matter of fact, and I just led into this massive story of how I just found out just a little um, weeks, months, um, ago that I was victim number eight of a serial abuser that I had escaped in divorce that I was still battling, um, that I had two children with. And I was like, there's, I just need to, I need to talk. I need to tell my story, not even to people. I didn't even ask her to write a book that we were going to publish. There was no plan of publishing. I just needed to write this down. I need to document it because I wanted my children at some point in time to know the truth. And they were being told a lot of lies. And that's what it started off with. And it's interesting because she was there with her, I think, believe, sister-in-law. And she comes running around the corner going, if she doesn't want to hear, I do. <laughs> and just kind of lightened the mood and made it easier um, to talk about. Um, after the, con- you know, we kind of went away. Just like, you know, think about it. You know, we did our whole professional thing. You know, we had jobs to do, right, this weekend. A week later, she contacts me and says, "You know, let's Zoom. I'd like to talk to you about this and hear more." And so, um, that was in the end of October of two thousand and nineteen, and we immediately started writing a book together. What turned out, her thinking she was kind of writing a memoir of my story. What we kind of started out, and as we got started and we're writing, what we realized was, is that. This wasn't just my story. She realized that it was her story and she was able to um, really confront what had happened to her in her past that she kind of like stuffed and shoved under the carpet and swept it away. Um, And it was the other women that I had spoken to and learned about them. And I started doing a lot of research. (laughs) A lot. That's. It's just. I'm addicted to it. It's part of how my brain works, and um, it started making so much more sense to me for the first time. And bear in mind, at this point in time, I have been in therapy. I finally was able to get to therapy, and was going to somebody on a consistent basis. And until writing this, I still did not have the pieces to put it together. And this helped make it more sense, a lot more sense. Um, And so we took the six forms of abuse and broke them down to actual real terminology and language that we have today. Um, And as we're defining it for you and giving you the history, the background, what it is, the nuts and bolts, we break aside and tell you a story that happened to either me or another woman so that you can see exactly what course of control looks like. What does gaslighting sound like in a conversation? what is marital rape like how do we get to the point where understanding this because these are big concepts that we need to understand and acknowledge so that we feel we're equipped to handle we gave it to a few women and we're like hey can you ask what you think and we were flooded with holy fuck you got to keep on writing this i gave it to my therapist And she's like, I can't like sign off. I'm your therapist. Like I can't do anything. She goes, but I just want to let you know, you're going down the right path. And I don't think you need to come to my office anymore. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, That was a huge, that felt so big for me, you know, for her to read this draft. And so um, Cheryl and I, you know, I call her Dr. C. We decided that we were going to give it a go. And we really started going okay let's just self-publish it let's just do that you know she had self-published books and one of her books got picked up by a christian publisher and we're like fine let's just let's do that i don't know what this is going to be let's just do that and so we published the manuscript in december of 2020 um down in texas which is really cool because that's where i was born is texas and she lives in texas so that was awesome A a lot of closure there and the manuscript went out and we got a lot of really amazing feedback and we were like okay maybe we should take this seriously and actually have it edited because <laughs> there were so many there's there's so many mistakes and the manuscript I mean just like things that we just you know it's just us two women we have full-time jobs and families you know we're running businesses doing all this other stuff and writing a book together um and Two people coming together to put one piece of material together is a huge challenge, right? At any, any point. So we did it. Got, and I just believed that I was going to find the right publisher. And actually somebody who connected you and I together, Sabrina. I've been a panelist on her podcast for quite a while. And she's like, hey, I met this woman. And it's an all-female publishing company. I think you guys need to talk. And she just connected us. And um, before I knew it, I had a publisher at an all-female publishing company, which couldn't be more perfect for the book that I wrote, Uh, that the women that were editing were survivors of um, interpersonal abuse, domestic abuse and violence. So that was even more of a just wink of like this was meant to be. And it's been amazing. That book was published um, October 4th of 2022 for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: So your book is about 300 and some pages.
1: It's hefty. And
0: <laughs> there is a section on economic abuse and financial abuse, and it's something that you dealt with every single day it was really a a heavy heavy thing in in your story so many people are going through it and they need uh the tools to help and to understand that this is what they're going through so you know your uh book is a fantastic book and this section that you wrote has a lot of information in it but it's also very personal so um I guess we're going to kind of do an unconventional thing when it comes to doing like this Q&A episode and you're going to start, you know, reading, you know, giving part of your story of the financial abuse, like the really nitty gritty details. And we're also going to be dispensing a lot of information and I'll kind of move in and and out asking questions uh, throughout it. So I guess um, take it away.
1: I worked hard, like really hard. I'm talking two or three jobs at a time. Early on in our relationship, I moved in with his parents, launching our relationship ahead a little more quickly. Though we were young, I had no desire to live with someone else's parents. I was an adult, and I wanted to behave as a one. Now, I know many people who live with their parents or in-laws. When an active choice is being made to live in that situation or when it is intended to be temporary, it is different than when you financially can't afford to get out from under it because one of the partners isn't responsible with money and is making poor and selfish choices. What started out as a temporary situation of necessity turned into our normal. The more I worked, the less money it felt like we had. He had no control over his spending, and priorities to him were having fun, which included alcohol and drugs. In the beginning, he was a contributing partner for the most part, but it was never very balanced. Financial dependency was more of a lack of finances, so I had to keep working, often at jobs I didn't really want to, and which led away from the direction my heart and goals wanted. The more progress I made in my career, the more he would slack off, job hop, and try to find a fast way into money. In the early years of our relationship, I would wait tables or a bartend while also holding a full-time career. It was not uncommon for him to come to my place of employment to just hang out. Whether it was a lack of social skills, the ability to know when enough was enough, jealousy, or a power struggle, his actions quickly affected my job. The relationships at work and ultimately my desire to continue to show up. I dreaded the days I needed him to pick me up because for sure he was already wasted or get that way while I was working. Naive as it may sound, I really thought things would change, that he would grow up and mature. I had compassion because we were young, and he was already a dad when we met at 19 and 20 years old. I knew he needed time to let loose and just be a young adult male. Life was a roller coaster, and any stability during that time was provided by me working hard for it. We moved into a townhouse, again, secured by me, and from there I was able to buy a house within that first year. We had been married for a few years, had a two-year-old and an almost six-year-old. Life was starting to look up in some ways. I managed our life, worked full-time on salary, went to college at night full-time, and started my own organizational administration outsourcing on the side part-time, all while taking care of all the house home, all the home management. He was around and participated when he wanted to, but for the most part, he lived as if he had no responsibilities or people who depended on him. Within a four year period of time, I lost my salaried job, partly due to his constant calling and showing up, was convinced to refinance our home to use the equity for various expenses and had my retirement cleaned out for, this is a good idea for our family expenses. Sadly, those expenses ended up meaning a large backyard shed to hold his music equipment and band practice. He sat out there for hours drinking and not participating in our home. Almost 10 years in, I wanted a solution. This was my constant. He would work a job and within months find a reason to quit or get fired. The longest period of time he held the same job was three years. And to top it off, my birth control had failed yet again and I was pregnant. Even though at this point I felt like the situation was helpless and he wouldn't change, I didn't see a solution except to keep working as much and as hard as I could. Our second son was born with a disability, so this added on a new element of responsibility. Again, thinking, okay, he will grow up now. So I stayed, continued. A few years later, after 13 long ones, I was done. I was exhausted, financially depleted beyond what I could comprehend and knew this was not what my life was supposed to be, should be, or what I wanted. Still to this day, more than a decade later, I am still in financial recovery. Looking back, I can see that economic abuse was one of the first ways I was conditioned. I grew up being taught that when you were married, you became one with your husband in all things. Many of us have been taught similarly. And why wouldn't you join everything together? Doesn't it make it simpler? Build trust? Give you a common goal and foundation? Encourage the team mentality and less selfishness? After a marriage with several elements of what I would refer to as mild abuses, now that I've experienced much worse. I was desperate for security, for a partner, for stability, work ethic, and a decent financial foundation. The economic abuse in my first marriage primed me for future abuse because I was desperately looking for someone who would contribute, pay bills, and provide stability. My first marriage wiped me out and made way for the all-American predator to step in. With my first marriage, it may not have had the impact that it did because my second husband just picked it up and took advantage of it.
0: So when it comes to economic abuse, it is the least discussed type of abuse, So, you know, within your research, give us a little bit of a a primer of economic abuse and uh, financial abuse uh, and and like, I guess, the definitions of everything and kind of what's going on in in society as a whole in the thought process on economic abuse.
1: Absolutely. Um, Economic abuse is the least discussed type of abuse, and yet it remains the most prevalent. Uh, Between 94 to 90 percent of domestic violence survivors have experienced economic abuse. That's a lot. And I mean, that's a lot. We just say 100 percent because when we actually started defining out what economic abuse was, we found that even in healthy relationships, there could be an element of financial abuse going on, but you would not report that as a domestic abuse situation. So there's a lot of economic abuse happening in seemingly healthy relationships. Economic abuse or financial dependency is defined as making or attempting to make an individual financially dependent by maintaining control over or limiting access to shared or individual assets and or financial resources withholding one's access to money, forbidding one's attendance at school or employment, and or limiting the current or future earning potential of the victim as a strategy of power and control. That is the official definition. Victims are separated from their own resources, rights, and choices, ultimately isolating them financially and creating forced dependency, which is the desired result. Economic abuse allows the abuser to quickly establish, maintain, and increase control at their discretion. Besides that, survivors often cite financial manipulation as a primary reason they stayed with an abusive partner.
0: So when it comes to economic abuse, what are the main tactics that are used?
1: Controlling the family income and either not allowing access to money or rigidly limiting access to family funds, keeping financial secrets or hidden accounts. Putting the victim on an allowance or allowing the victim no say in how money is spent, making them turn their paycheck over, causing the victim to lose a job or preventing them from taking a job. Example, by making them late for work, negatively affecting their work performance by breaking down their confidence, hiding resources, refusing to provide transportation to work, or by calling, harassing, or embarrassing them at work. Spending money for necessities, food, rent, and utilities on non-essential items such as drug, alcohol, hobbies. Forbid attendance that would help them gain financial independence such as school, work, or social interactions. Prevent you from keeping or getting a job, making you ask for money, interfering with work or education, using your credit cards without permission, not working and requiring you to provide support, keeping your name off joint assets making you pay for his attendance at behavioral change programs, borrowing money from you and not paying it back, removing, stealing, and or selling your assets without your knowledge, forging signatures to have access to your funds, making you dependent on their income, routinely checking and criticizing your expenditure, unfounded litigation to incur legal costs, having to repay relocation expenses to avoid further abuse that is only the list that we could actually come up with. There's so much more. That's what's sad about it. We talk, I just wanna acknowledge that when you are forced to stay home and not have income, or if you even if you make that decision and it's decided together and you think you're making that decision together, <laughs> when it's used against you, As a woman, it's really, really difficult because the choice that you made or you think you're doing the right thing for your kids or you made this choice together as a partnership is now being used against to hold you down. You also feel less of yourself. You know, we think we talk about the importance of like socialization, you know, you become even more isolated. So that's part of two financial abuses, the isolation part of it.
0: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. So before the show, we discussed the term forced dependency, that being, you know, being forced to stay in situations because finances make it impossible to leave. You're unable to care for yourself and possibly your children as well financially, and especially with kids involved, because it's nearly impossible to be a stay-at-home mom who has not been working regularly outside the home to find any sort of employment that can pay both your bills. Cover child care. Everyone listening right now who has kids and, and financial issues understands this, really understands what I just said and how difficult it is. And, you know, some victims, you know, you don't have a bank account or credit or any form of savings, and you can't qualify for loans or housing. I hear that all the time uh, when talking to people. And we also hear on our show when victims are legally responsible for the debts Uh, of their abuser and that comes out during the divorce process and you can also get into a huge amount of debt during the divorce process custody battles and lengthy legal battles we've heard many times on the show about lengthy legal battles that, that that literally bankrupt the victim so when it came to your story In your situation that you went through, I guess discuss financial abuse, how it impacted your life, specifically with your second abusive relationship.
1: He was a military veteran and he had served his years. And so he had his disability that he qualified for. Um, He had his retirement and he got amounts, more amounts because, I, he had married me and because I had children and he was claiming them, and because of these other children that I finally figured it out and found out about so you know he's getting certain amounts because of all of these offsprings um, so right there's a the financial abuse that was going on immediately um, the secretness of different accounts um that definitely went on, but not where there was like large amounts of like I just I'm like how are you paying for this stuff? Like there would be credit cards that I wasn't aware of. And um, he did a lot of to pay Peter, pay Paul, whatever that saying is. Basically, I'm moving money around just to keep on circulating. I don't know. I actually have the money to cover it. He did a lot of excess spending um, because if, you know, we had nice curtains and bed sheets and the house looked like it was supposed to look like in middle-class America, then we must be doing well. He definitely wanted to put on an appearance. Um, There was, he would spend excessive amounts on his truck just to, like, change the way it looked. There was no, like, reason for it. Um, Vehicle, like, my vehicle wasn't in my name. I thought my name was on it. That was a lesson I learned afterwards. Um, He would take uh, child support that I was getting from my other children and utilize it and make me turn it over to him. Um, When I was earning money, was required to turn over but his wasn't like it was like i don't understand what's going on here but i was also under the mentality of i married this person whether it was choice or not i married this person we're working together we're a partnership and this is what we're gonna do um forced me to go to school for him so there was another financial abuse i literally attended online class college for him because if he went to school then we got extra money because he was using his these all the stuff the military was giving him. So, like, he actually was using me to abuse other systems financially. Like, and anytime I spoke up about these things, it was worse off for me. And so, like, when it came to the whole schooling thing, at least, I, I mean, I loved learning. And so, I was excited for a little while. But then it became very abusive and it used it against me. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of the day I gave birth to our second child with a mini laptop up because I had to get answers done so he wouldn't fail. I have that picture. I have, it's so solid in my memory. I've known exactly what I had to do after I had just given birth to a baby. It was ridiculous. So, but he also, in a way, financial abuse can be when you overspend on somebody to make them feel better, right? And so you're thinking that this is how life should be. And, you know, this is, he's saying he's sorry. Um, in essence, it really is not. It's just to kind of soften the blow so that the next time he tries to dominate or power or control or hurt or whatever, you're starting to be trained of, okay, he's going to do something nice and it gets better. It gets better after this. Like it'll be better after this. Um, so those are just a few examples. Um, no matter what he was doing financially, he always turned it on to, I wasn't making it enough or I was doing something wrong. You buy the wrong things at the grocery store. That's why you don't have enough money. You know, you grocery shopping was a financial category that he used against me because I didn't buy the right stuff. And there wasn't, like, if there wasn't certain things on the shelf, then I would get in trouble. But if I bought those things to put them on the shelf, I wouldn't have enough money to actually feed my kids healthy meal planned food. Right, so that in itself is financial abuse because I'm constantly going. Can we take the calculator and my list? And you know, I'm always concerned and anxious over what I'm spending and having to justify it, show the receipt, um, even how much my, I spent on my gas because he could track. According to him, he could track based on how many miles on my vehicle and what I spent on my gas, where I went, and I believed that for the longest time. So it's all different ways. That's what I'm saying is there's so many different tactics and that's why we have to talk about all of these because they happen all the time and in little micro ways, even in healthy relationships, they can happen and we just need to nip them and then move forward.
0: So when it comes to uh, faith-based abuse and the workplace also, we have a lot of gender roles that uh, become a big part of uh, the abuse. So when it comes to both of these things, uh, how does, you know, being specifically female here, um, you know, cause a a huge uh, issue or how is that used against you uh, to you know, enhance the economic abuse that is going on?
1: That's a great way of putting it. I would I would say they're contributing factors of ease. <laughs> this is how I kind of view them. I love how you put it. So um, we're in religious wise. We took a Christian standpoint because both her and I were raised in Christian type organizations. Um, so I don't know anything about other religions and I don't want to speak of them. So I'm just speaking of this just so we know. Okay, so from a Christian point of view, um many of us are raised, and we talked about this earlier, like we join our entire lives together, we become one. Um, and especially in the area of finances. So you're conditioned to think relinquishing the responsibility is the right and respectful thing to do. Um and there's not a lot of questions asked. It's kind of, if you're doing this, you're being a good wife. You're being a good wife. You're trusting your husband. Um, you're giving him the lead and he can be the leader because finances are so part, such a big part of leading in a marriage when you're talking a lot of uh, Christian marriages. (laughs) Um, but when it's an unhealthy relationship, it just sets a stage for economic abuse. And you you were a willing participant in it in the beginning, unknowingly. And that makes it very difficult. Um, in the workplace, we see financial abuse in the sense of we have the motherhood penalty. So not only are women making an average of 81 cents for every dollar men make, we're often taking the greatest career hits when starting a family. The motherhood penalty ultimately results in a $900,000 loss of income over a 40-year career. This loss comes from taking time off to care for your children, not getting the advancements because you're at home taking care of children. You have more responsibilities. Maybe you're not showing up the way they expect you to anymore. The criteria is, is unbalanced. It's unbalanced in what you're being judged on. Um, women occupy hourly service positions at a higher rate than men. And these positions are generally among the first reduced during times of economic downturn as well. So when a woman has a child and then she goes, oh, I'm going to stay home. And then she decides to go back to work. That's part of the motherhood penalty because she won't return to the same level that she exited out of. And all these things, there's a lot of stats and you can go read about them. (laughs) You can go read about them because they're proven. Um, But the motherhood penalty can also be used against you to create an even more richer environment at home for economic abuse because now you're less likely to make the money that you thought you were going to. Your career has been impacted. Um, You're most likely taking the entire role of home management and care. Primary parents, what we call it, primary parent role. Um, And so all of those affect your ability to perform form in a career as the standards that we've currently had in life until recently when the pandemic hit and more people have worked from home did it start to really change honestly which is really cool because we were writing this right in the middle of it so it just it was really amazing how we were seeing things coincide so again referencing the recent pandemic women were more commonly called upon to address the increased childcare and schooling responsibilities as offerings began to shut down Even as schools and daycares open back up, women carry the additional burden of virtual schooling, juggling ongoing shutdowns, and monitoring new requirements, further decreasing their ability to focus on work and career. And so this is just a very small amount of ways that as women, we face economic abuse out in the world that impacts us and can have a great impact on us at home as well. So if you, if you can stack all those together, it's, It's a financial shit show for a woman at home. Um, If you're only being challenged on, you know, the motherhood penalty, it's still a huge challenge and it sucks. It really does suck that that's the world that we lived in. But when it's added on at home with a partner who is not um, supportive, um, who possibly is either having experienced serial adolescence or using it to power to dominate and have control um it becomes a petri dish that is ripe for other abuse
0: so something you wrote about was as far as economic abuse goes is you don't know what is a healthy kind of economic choice or an unhealthy choice and you know you're, you a lot of people aren't coming from financial literacy in, 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 in many ways. And it's hard to discern. Well, this sounds like they're making a good choice here as far as our future. Or is what I'm hearing, you know, someone who's trying to, you know, put me in, further into a hole? Because a lot of the times you're dealing with someone who makes a lot of sense. So how do you i guess in the simplest way you start to like discern uh what is healthy and what isn't healthy if someone is currently in it right now besides knowing you know the list of things that we've, we've mentioned if you're at like the beginning of this or you're about to get back into a relationship like what are those little things
1: That is such a good question because there is, there's just such a fine line between is, are we being fiscally responsible or is this controlling behavior or are we being financially flexible or is this person being completely irresponsible? Um, And it's hard. So the only way we can actually do it is we have to have conversations. We just, we have to start talking about things. That's first and foremost. We have to start talking about things. We have to start asking ourselves questions. Am I okay with this? Am I comfortable? Do I feel dominated or coerced into these decisions that we're making? Do I feel like I have a say-so? Say Am I agreeing fully? Do I understand this enough to be able to agree to it? There's many many women who've forced, been forced to sign contracts that they didn't actually know what they were signing because they weren't given the ability to understand it. And it got them in a lot of trouble. And that's abuse, <laughs> you know, um, both sides of it, men or women who've ever been done to it. But, and you have to ask questions. If you're in a your partnership, start asking, are you both in agreement with the goals and how you're going to get there? Do you feel you have a sense of security? Do you have your own account? Do you talk openly about it? Does it feel like there's any secrets? Like, question, ask. Ask questions, so many questions, until the point in time that you feel safe and secure and certain, and then double check. That's what I said. Just double check yourself. And then when you're good, you're good. And you revisit those questions and you revisit um, the things that you, the boundaries that you've set. Um, and if you don't know, go educate yourself. I, that's what I did. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> Apparently, I'm naive in this subject. I thought I knew, I knew what was what I did not. So I went and educated myself. And there is a lot of financial institutions that have set up programs for abuse victims, so that they can learn fiscal responsibility, so they can learn the things they need to and so that they can have accounts that aren't um, accessible by their abuse. There's a lot of things, resources out there. Um, And I I encourage you to make sure that you have financial security that is yours no matter what, even if you have a healthy relationship.
0: So, when it comes to leaving, what needs to be done? And for you, how did you reestablish yourself?
1: So, I by no means am a financial expert or advisor at all. I am a woman who has lost it all and it has been taken and stolen from her and is still managing to keep on pushing forward. So these are the things that we came up with that I know had I done, and some of the things that I did do that helped, um, as well as um, a few other women that we talked to. Um, Because our goal with this is to help shift some power back so that you feel a little bit confident in this category, right? a definite way for somebody to dominate over you is to not have confidence in a certain category. So let's stop that, get confident about it. Learn about money, ask questions. Those are things you can do whether or not you're leading or thinking about leading is just start learning about finances, learn what budgets are, learn what investments are, learn um, the ins and outs so that you have some confidence, first of all, because um, especially if you're not responsible for bills. That can be very overwhelming when you're leaving, and now there's that person who did all those things is gone. Um, This is also in the case of healthy marriages, where one one person passes before the other, and that person was the person who was financially responsible or administratively responsible for their entire partnership and life, and they never communicated to the other person about how any of this stuff went on. These are forms of abuse that we can prevent, so let's work on those. Um, So some of the ones that if you're in an abusive relationship, we suggest is have an emergency evacuation box that includes, if not the originals, at least copies of birth certificates, marriage license, passports, or any other important papers, phone numbers, um, if you have the availability to start in cash um, or a credit card that's like available and not being used and you can hide that, get those away and store them at a friend's house, store them at a PL, like some place that you know it's safe. Um, and sometimes this takes a little while to acquire these things. This is not something you're supposed to just run out and go start grabbing all this stuff. It's build it over time so that you have a security box. Uh, bank account in your name and credit card. Even if there's only $25 in your bank account, get a bank account in your name. Always have a bank account in your name and it helps you establish at least some type of credit um, and existence financially. So we're trying to make a financial imprint where one didn't exist. Extra copies of car and house keys that you can access easily. They will take them from you. So make copies ahead of time. Emergency phone numbers. Uh we used to memorize phone numbers. I can still cite my one back in Virginia, but I know that's not a thing anymore. So write them down because when they do take your phone and keep it from you, saying from experience, you're gonna feel more isolated than you ever had in your entire life because you don't know anybody's phone number anymore. Like nobody memorizes phone numbers anymore. So write them down, put them in a safe place. Um Keep an extra phone that because even if it's not connected to cellular, you can always dial 911 from it, even if it has no service. So you upgraded your phone, keep the old one and hide it. So and we call that not being locked into your phone. So it's not a security blanket. It will be used against you. Um, so put it on something that can't be taken away or left behind, because sometimes you might have to leave your phone behind because they can also track you by your phone. So sometimes people have left their phone behind. So again, you won't have phone numbers. Keep track of things you purchase with your own money, especially when cohabitating and you're not married. Keep a receipt ledger. (laughs) It's really that simple. Couch three thousand dollars on certain date with cash from this store. You just keep a log of your stuff because especially if you're trying to get away, then you have proof that those things belong to you. There's a lot of financial abuse and loss when you're having to leave everything behind and start all over. So we're trying to prevent some of that from happening. Track gifts and note items inherited from your family are pre-existing to the relationship and write it down. If they gave you a car and he said it was a gift, write it down. If bought you that dog and it was a birthday present, write it down. Anything that's ever referred to as a gift or a present or just because I love you, write it down. Um, So those are just a few really easy, simple ways that you can start to protect yourself financially. Even if you're in a healthy relationship, those things would be beneficial Um, because then when you're ready to write your will and pass things down, you've already done the work and your relationship was healthy, which is what we want for you. Then now you have the work done. (laughs) So it's beneficial all the way around.
0: So Erica, um, before we leave today, is there anything else, you know, that you want to kind of impart on our community, uh, that we haven't touched upon today?
1: Um, I realize many of us don't recognize or won't recognize abuse in our lives and that's okay. I, you still need to read the book because we need allies. And the only way To really be an ally is to be educated and to learn the language so not only you can acknowledge it where it's happening um, in your life or around you, but maybe you can see it in somebody else and you can be that person that can help them and say instead of oh yeah that's what happens or I've seen that or yeah I heard about that you can be the person that says do you realize that that's unhealthy and what's happening right now is course of control or you you do realize that right now you're being financially abused and that's not okay. Is there something I can do to help you? And if we can, more of us can be those people, then we can make an impact on abuse and people's lives.
0: Well, Erica, I really want to thank you for being a guest on our show today and sharing your knowledge, sharing a bit of your story. And I also want to thank Dr. Cheryl Jackson, who wrote this book with you. And just a really big thank you for being here with us today and, and covering this topic of, of financial abuse.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been an actual honor. Thank you for allowing me that privilege. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, once again, Erica, thank you for being a guest on our show. And if you want to buy Erica's book, it is uh, there will be a link in the show notes. And... If you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page there. Please do read all the instructions and either send us an email at at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And if you want some support, we do have a support group at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. There, you can go inside and you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday night. We have forum boards on there for you to post on, get the validation that you need. You can ask questions. Your fellow survivors will be there to respond, validate you, and answer you, and just really take care of you through the whole entire process of of what you are dealing with and what you're going through. It's a great group of people there. So if you need support, please do join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org at domesticshelters.org. They have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're going through. They have every phone number, they have every email address and web address for shelters and agencies no matter how big or small your town is. domesticshelters.org has it there so please do visit them today and that is it for today's show. So for myself and Erica Hull. We hope you have a good night.